Hey, I am so excited you're with us today at Lake Elsinore. And before we dig in anything else, there's something I need to share with you. You may um, be aware that there's some com- controversy going on concerning Crossroads and Crossroads Christian School. And uh, I want to just kind of give you a quick heads up on that. There's some pretty um, strong things on the Internet, um, some hurtful things on the Internet. And uh, I want to tell you what the controversy is really all about. What it's about is that Crossroads Christian School is a Christian school. And uh, we are making sure our staff at Crossroads Christian School is 100% Christian, that they're born again, that they have the spirit of Jesus moving in them and everything they do. And all we're saying is that if anybody's on the staff of the school, they have a statement of faith that they signed and they have to actually live the statement of faith. We're calling for all the staff, both on the church side and the school side, to be level four Christians. And there are some people, to be honest, that probably don't understand what's going on and they're reacting. And, and I would love to get a chance for us to give them good information. And there are other people right now who just are angry and upset because they don't like the idea that we really, truly are Christian. And, and in that case, there's no veering. There's no turning aside. But if you have a child at the school, I want to assure you, we're going to make sure your child is only surrounded by a staff that loves Jesus with their heart, soul, and mind. And is just like what you experience with us at church. And we're going to do this in a loving way, in a caring way, in an outreach way. And I just want you to know that. And if you have any questions, then I want you to feel free to uh, call the church office and ask for me or Mike Long, and, and we'll get back to you, and we're going to give you as much information as you have. And, and I want to ask you to pray with us about that, to pray that we move forward. And, and today we're actually talking about hungering and thirsting for righteousness, and that's what we're doing. We have an intense craving that what we do at church, what we do in our private lives, what we're doing in our school is righteous. Um, so let's pray, and we'll dig in. Father, I thank you for every single person who's a part of our Lake Elsinore campus and the chance we get to share together, Lord. I thank you for how your spirit's moving there and it's growing there. And it's just an amazing opportunity to see you work. And may your spirit fill the theater today as we share in a hopefully a creative way. But most of all, may we not miss Jesus, the message you have for us in your name. Amen. Well, I want to tell you something. You may not know this, but I actually a few years ago got hooked on cooking. And, and Pam actually uh, got me into it. And, and I, one of the reasons I love cooking is because you get to get all the tools. I mean, what better hobby is there than to get knives like these and to get to really use them for something? And this knife is the one, if you remember, some of you know, I actually sliced off the tip of my thumb with it. I was just standing and cutting and all of a sudden Pam goes, you're bleeding. And I look, man, the tip of my thumb is gone. Man, this thing just cut right through it. <clears throat> and it was just kind of an incredible moment and, and, and I'm bleeding and, and, and yet, you know, later on we came back and cooked again. Now in my, my excitement for cooking, I've started watching the food network. Matter of fact, Pam can't believe it. I'm the one who chooses it. And if I'm watching the food network, I want to tell you, there's one show beyond every show of the food network that I love more than the other. It's iron chef. Time has come to once again, ask Life's most savory question, whose ecclesiastical cuisine reigns supreme? This is Iron Chef Crossroads. We have been graced with the establishment of our very own kitchen stadium. It is here where the best of the best of our pastoral staff meet and face the ultimate theological gourmet challenge. 
no ear tickling here. We have gathered a veritable who's who of evangelical expertise who stand ready to chop, dice, and slice our challenger in a contest of exegetical prowess. Ladies and gentlemen, I present to you our own Crossroads Iron Chefs. Iron Chef, Pastor Daryl McLeod. Iron Chef, Pastor Gil Garcia. And Iron Chef, Pastor Tony Wood. In mere moments, one Iron Chef will be pitted against our challenger, who thirsts to discover our secret ingredient and enter the heat of battle. Today's challenger is no stranger to the rigors of preparing tasty homiletical delicacies inside the pressure cooker known as Generate Junior High. Crossroads Kitchen Stadium is pleased to welcome Chef Ronnie Roa. Welcome, Ronnie. Thanks it's good to have you here. Thanks man. for having me. All right. Iron Chef Ronnie. Which of our amazing pastors do you wish to do battle with today? Well, it's been a long time coming, but I choose Iron Chef Pastor Tony Wood. The combatants have been chosen. There's just one thing we're waiting for before the battle begins as they have 15 minutes to prepare one of the most amazing spiritual messages ever to be digested. It's the secret ingredient. Righteousness. Without further ado, let the battle begin. While Ronnie and Tony are digging in depth into God's word, so you are able to feast on the true meat of God's word, I want us to take some time right now to meet our judges. Come with me. We are excited about who's with us today. Uh, three judges who are all part of the Crossroads family. Uh, the first judge we have with us today is Rob Alexander. Many of you know about Rob because of the Rob Alexander petting zoo that uh, we named after him for lots of reasons. But uh, Rob is a businessman. He was an assistant basketball coach at the University of Southern California, a Trojan. And Rob has three boys and a daughter. Rob, what are you looking forward to today? Well, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing which one of them could really bring the message and, and that will appeal to all people in our Crossroads family. That's, that's cool. That's cool. Well, Liz, Liz Blanco, is another wonderful part of our church family. Liz is a mom and a wife and a part of mom to mom. And, and just uh, an incredible, incredible, vibrant person within the family. And she has a, a boy and a girl. And Liz, uh, you got to hear Tony speech a lot. What are you looking forward to from Tony? I am looking forward to hearing about his passion. Cool. That is awesome. And then Sid is another part of our Crossroads family. Uh, we think that he actually joined the church more looking for a wife. We're not sure about anything else. But uh, Sid, tell us what you're looking forward to today. Well, I'm looking forward to both uh, people speaking, especially Ronnie. He's a, he's a very good looking man, very passionate, and uh, he's very fashionable. In fact, his, uh, the design on his shirt, he really sports the picnic blanket look very well. And uh, I'm just looking forward to hearing Tony because he has the 
the aerodynamic shaped brain, and uh, it will be a good fight, Pastor Chuck. Well, while Ronnie and Tony are digging in, I've been thinking a lot about this subject about hungering and thirsting for righteousness and the idea that amazing satisfaction comes. Remember, Jesus said the word blessed before every one of the eight Beatitudes. It's literally the life that he wants to have us live. It's what he wants to have us experience. And so the word blessed literally means to be supremely happy. And when you look at the other side of this particular bad attitude, he says, you know what's going to happen? You're going to have an amazing satisfaction in your life that just stays there and, and gets inside you to an incredible degree. And then while we are in the midst of doing these particular studies, um, I've been intrigued by reading about um, what John MacArthur had to say on this issue. I've been studying a lot of books and looking what a lot of different people are saying, trying to dig in depth as possible. And I got to be honest, John MacArthur, uh, a pastor I really respect, has me thinking about this in a way I never have before. And maybe it's becoming more personal. Maybe it's becoming more uh, uh, a part of influencing who I am. But one of the things that John asks is this. He goes, why are we so quick to say someone's a Christian? Why are we just so sure that 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 all of a sudden, you know, well, they, they've got to be one. What is that really the case? Are we really asking in a way that Jesus would want us to ask and seeing the things Jesus would want us to see? And and for instance, John was sharing in his book that a woman walked up to him and she said, um, Pastor, I, I have a question for you. She said, I'm a Christian and I'm living with my boyfriend. And, and he stopped her. And he said, wait a minute, you, you said you're living with your boyfriend. Are you sure you're a Christian? Now, now, right away, most of us react to that and go, wait a minute. No. And, and what he was saying, though, is really important. If you're a believer, if you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Christ, then you would hunger and thirst for righteousness. You would hunger and thirst to do the right thing. You would hunger and thirst for the Christ-like lifestyle. And, and John MacArthur is saying, you got to think about this. Jesus was calling out to people and saying, you need to understand that, that you can't live this way. Uh, in first John chapter one, uh, there's an interesting section of scripture there. We're starting in verse five, where, where John says this, and I want you to think about the wording. This is the message we heard from him and declare to you. Now stop there and think about it. He said, this is the central message that Jesus preached over and over. This is what Jesus taught. This is what he wanted us to grab hold of. This is the message that Jesus shared with us. You ready for what it is? That God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. And if we say that we have fellowship with him and we walk in darkness, we lie. And we do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, then the love of God truly cleanses us from all sins and we have fellowship with one another. Now think about those words. If someone says, oh, I love God, I have fellowship with God, I know God. And he says, and you walk in darkness, you're not living the righteous life, the light that God is, uh, is not moving and guiding and surrounding you. It, he says, you know what, you're lying to yourself. And, and you know, I want to ask us to, to really think that through because we live in a world today that wants to say everybody's a Christian and, and everybody's okay with God. But, but that isn't the case according to Jesus. If we say we have fellowship with him and we walk in darkness, then we lie. We're, we're not in that. A.W. Tozer said something that I never forget. Tozer's amazing when they're giving out some really deep thoughts based on scripture. But listen to this one. He said, if you're not doing right and living right and being right and thinking right and wanting right, hey, you're not right. 
Now, I want you to think about that. If we don't hunger and thirst for this, if we don't crave it, if we don't want it more than anything, he says, you know what? We're not right with God. I'm not saying I'm not going to go ahead and say someone's not truly saved or or, or where they're at. You know, that's between them and God. But one of the things God called for is for us to practice righteousness, pursue righteousness. In Hebrews 12, 14, it says pursue right uh, sanctification without which no one will see the father. Now, now, don't miss that again. If we're not pursuing the sanctified, righteous life, it says you won't see the father. You won't see God. And we've got to grab hold of what God is saying. Um, I've been doing a gut check on this. I've been doing a, a, what I want to call a fruit inspection in my own life. When all this controversy has arisen and, and to be honest, I started to get attacked. Well, you know what? I feel like that kind of goes with the territory and, and that's okay. And, and I understand, you know, blessed are the persecuted uh, for theirs is the kingdom of God. And when men revile your name and cast it out as evil, Jesus said, rejoice in that day and be glad. As a matter of fact, Jesus even said in Luke six, he said, woe to you when all men speak well of you. <laughs> well, that's not happening right now for me. But one night I got a call and they said, have you seen what's on this particular website? And I opened my computer and I'm sitting on my couch next to Pam and uh, I start reading the things. And all of a sudden I read this particular statement and and I, I got to be honest, uh, I, I think up till then I'd been handling things pretty well. Pam's been keeping me in check and saying, be Christ like, be loving. And and man, all of a sudden I'm just getting angry. And I said, can you believe this? And she said, what? And I said, Pam, listen to what it says. And man, I'm looking and Pam said, you're getting mad. You shut your computer now. And I said, Pam, I'm getting angry. She goes, no, you shut your computer now. I don't want you to look at that. I want you to let go of it. Chuck, you're not going to go this direction. You're not going to do this. This isn't going to be who you are. We've already agreed on that. We're not going to be one way uh, in front of other people and go in our house and be different. You've got to. And man, she's almost preaching. You've got to be loving. You got to, And I'm telling you, shut the computer. And so I'm sitting there and, and I got to be honest, the fact that someone would attack her and the fact. But what Pam was saying is, I don't want you to let that guide you. I don't want to let that instill in your life. I, I want to do a fruit inspection here. I want to make sure that you're a person who understands what it means to really have truly the fruit of the spirit. Where in Galatians 5, it says that when we inspect that fruit, the fruit of the spirit is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. And and Pam was saying, if you really want to have an amazing life, by the way, if we want to have an amazing spiritual meal, you got to have the right ingredients. And that's the kind of fruit that we need to have in it. And Pam was saying, Chuck, I want you to be loving. I want you to be kind. That's who God wants you to be. And by the way, I crave that too. I want the Holy Spirit moving in my life. I don't want the other side to come out of me because there's other fruit that can come out. And it says this in Galatians 5, 19. Now, the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissension, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these, of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, now don't miss what What Paul is saying, he says, man, if you've got the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit has you, then love and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness, this just comes out of us. He says, but if you've got something else coming out, outbursts of anger and strife and drunkenness and jealousy and and rage and enmities and factions, and he says, guess what? You're not going to inherit the kingdom of God. You're not going to see God. And we need to do a fruit inspection. I'm going to ask you right now to 
which one describes you? By the way, not in the good times. The question for me is when people are attacking me and people are against me and people are taking shots and trying to be hurtful, that's when I need to inspect the fruit. Because you know what? We can all smile and pretend it's okay when that's not happening. But when we're being persecuted and our name's being reviled and when someone I love with all my heart's being attacked, am I going to be loving? Am I going to be kind? If not, if not, then I'm not for real. If I really have this relationship, if I hunger and thirst for righteousness in every moment, especially moments of testing, well, then, then that's who we are. And think about it today. Which one are you? Because God wants us all to be the one who's loving and kind. And he wants that fruit to be born. He wants us to hunger and thirst for right attitudes and right actions and right words and right thoughts. And, and that that's who we are. And then what happens is we have this life that satisfies us to no end. And he says, hunger for that. I do have to tell you that I know Pam does. It was uh, the next day I had a meeting with the teachers and, from the school. And, and I got up there and, and, and a particular event occurred uh, I won't get into now that made me decide, okay, I'm going to address the whole website issue and the attacks. And, and I, I stood in front of the teachers who are just wonderful people. I mean, I, I love our staff there. And I said, you guys, I know you've seen the controversy. You know some of the things that are happening. And uh, I want to say, you know what? It's not right. It's not right that someone who somehow is on the staff of the school would have a website like that. And it's not what right that they would be that malicious and mean-spirited instead of just coming and talking. And I don't want our students around somebody like that. And I said, I got to be honest, it's really just not right that they would attack my wife. And uh, so I shared that. So I got home and Pam had been praying and praying over the school and praying over me and, and, and praying over the situation. And I walk in the door and my son Tim's there and Jill's there. And the first thing they're asking is, how did it go? And I said, you know, it went awesome, man. Our school staff's incredible. And I said, Pam, but I got to tell you, you told me not to bring up the website, but, but I really needed to because... And, and, by, and she goes, well, how did they take it? And I said, well, you know, when I, I said you got attacked, they, they were like, oh, man, they were like, couldn't believe anybody would attack you. And Pam looked at me and said, I got attacked? And I'm like, yeah, Pam, you got attacked. I mean, Pam, you're the sleazy girlfriend. <laughs> I mean, like, come on. She goes, I'm the sleazy girlfriend? I said, yeah, you're the sleazy girlfriend. I mean, how many sleazy girlfriends have I had? I mean, she's like, oh, and she just starts laughing. And she goes, that's me. I'm the sleazy girlfriend. And when I got up the next day to go to work, she kisses me. And she goes, remember, your sleazy girlfriend's waiting for you. And she's just laughing. And you know what it is? She wasn't going to let it dictate her attitude. And she's laughing about it. And she's praying over it. And she's saying, this is who we're supposed to be. And when I look at my wife, I see the Holy Spirit shining out in her in such a way of love and joy and peace and patience. And if you inspect the fruit in a tough time in my wife's life, guess what you see? And I look at me and I think, God, you know, is that me? And it's not that we question our salvation. It's we just get honest about who we are. And, and here's what MacArthur's right about. Someone who really knows Jesus hungers and thirsts for this. And, and they get blessed because of this. And if we don't hunger and thirst for it, something's wrong. When Tim, our son, was younger, uh, he hit a place in his life where we got up for breakfast and he didn't want to eat. And man, I, that wasn't like him. Breakfast was his meal. And we're like, come on, Tim, you want something? He goes, no, I really don't. And he didn't eat hardly anything for lunch and at dinner he wasn't going to eat. What does that tell you as a parent? Something's wrong. When he's not hungering, he's not thirsting, something's wrong. Next morning, the same thing. We thought, that's it. We got to get him to the doctor. And we got him to the doctor. He didn't have a fever. 
Uh, he didn't have the, the grumbling sound. But when they did an x-ray, his lungs were so filled that, that he had a form of pneumonia that literally could have killed him. And here's the point. The only sign we had of the, the, the sickness and, and the death that was beginning to take over his little body was the fact he didn't hunger. He didn't thirst. Now, when someone is a believer in God, says they're not hungering and thirsting. Well, that tells you at least, it tells you at least something's wrong. And if you and I really have this relationship with God, we should want it. Robert Louis Stevenson called it the malady of not wanting. He said in his day, he looked around and people didn't want God in reality. They didn't want the the love in reality. They didn't want this presence of God, the spirit in reality. And he said, there's a malady to that. It's a curse that people experience. The truth of the matter is most of us have an instinctual desire for goodness and righteousness. But that's not what Jesus says. It's not that you and I would have just an instinctual desire for good, for right, for justice, for equity. It needs to be a hunger, a thirst, a passion. And and there's a difference between those being haunted by goodness and those having goodness. And if we have it, it has us and we crave it more and crave it more and crave it more. And then Jesus says, happy are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Happiness comes only for those who really want a, a lifestyle that's right and words that are right and a heart that's right in a way that's right. Happier we when that happens. And Jesus said, that's the only time we're really going to have it. And then he warns us how dangerous it is to think something else can fill that void. Jesus said in John six twenty seven, do not work for food, which perishes, but for food, which endures to eternal life, which the son of man will give to you for on him. The father has set his seal. He says, don't hunger for the things that in the end aren't going to satisfy. He stood next to the woman at the well. And he said, if you drink from that water, you'll thirst again. And, you know, I really believe that if we could hear God's voice sometime, Jesus's voice, sometimes the spirit speaking, he might say to me and he might say to you, don't drink from that. Don't eat of that. You think it's going to satisfy you. You think it's going to give you that happiness that can't be taken. Don't you realize there's an emptiness to it? Don't let that happen to you. But here's what he does say. You can have it if you want it. If you would hunger and thirst for righteousness, you will get it. You will be satisfied. If you thirst for him, you'll never thirst again. If you seek for him, he'll fill you in a way that's incredible. In Proverbs 21, 21, it says this. He who pursues righteousness and loyalty finds life and then finds righteousness and honor. He said, if you go after it, it's not going to be hidden from you. If you desire it, I'm going to give it to you. God's great desire is that you would have it. It's kind of interesting, though, and the word righteousness in the Greek is what's called the accusative case, the accusative case. Now, now I want to make sure we all grab what that means, because that's incredibly important. You see, if the word righteousness was in the genitive case, it would mean I want some righteousness. If the word, you know, righteousness, I want some of it. Like if someone said, oh, can I have some bread? There's a difference between having some bread and wanting the whole loaf. There's a difference in having a piece of pizza and wanting the whole pizza. And, and the, the genitive case is I want some. But the accusative case means I want it all. And that's the point that Jesus is making. He says you're only going to have that satisfaction. You're going to only have that incredible life if you want it all. You want all righteousness in your life. You, want, you hunger for it. You thirst for it. And when it comes, when righteousness comes, it changes everything. Peter says that we're to keep hungering for it and to keep thirsting for it. And, and Jesus says, keep coming to get it. That's his great desire. That's what he wants for us. And when you start thinking about that, it becomes pretty incredible. I know that Ronnie and Tony, they really, in reality, they're people that hunger and thirst for it. 
They want it with everything they have. I love working around guys like that. They study, they seek, and they go after it. And you know what? If you're like me, I cannot wait to hear what Ronnie has to share with us after his time of studying. Ronnie Roa. Thanks, Chuck. Well, I am just so blessed to be able to be a part of uh, what's going on in Elsinore here at Crossroads. And so um, I'm just going to go ahead and jump right into this. Um, I I was blown away about um, looking at this word thirst and the idea where it comes from. The word dipsao in the Greek literally mean uh, to a repetitive action, something that you continuously do do over and over. And it's just this this desire to want to have this satisfaction. And uh, it's interesting. Any of us know after having a, you know, running or jogging or playing a game of basketball or football, you come in and you just, you you have to have that water to just, to just satisfy that craving inside of your mouth just to feel something. And, And so that's the kind of the kind of thing that we're talking about here. It's this, this thirst that happens continually inside of you. And you know what's interesting about our bodies? Our bodies are made up of 90% water. And uh, when you think about all the cells, I mean, 50 trillion, 50 to 100 trillion cells that literally make up every part of your body all contain this cytoplasmic water makeup inside every cell. And you know what happens after dehydration? You know, you can go without eating, but you can't go without water for very long. And anybody knows that. Literally, the water begins to get sapped out of your cells, and your cells just begin to die. They begin to just, just rot inside of themselves. And uh, here's just some interesting facts about water. Without water, at an average temperature of 80 degrees, which is like any other day here in Corona, with no water, you live about nine days. And uh, with one quart of water at 80 degrees, you would live about 10 days. So that just shows you how important water is to you. And the fact that we have this thirst, this craving inside of us that just causes us to want to survive and want to have that that satisfaction. And you know, Chuck mentioned earlier about John 4, where Jesus is at the well with the, the Samaritan woman. And I want you to look at something, what he says. In John 4, 13, he says, Jesus answered her and said, everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again. Now, what an amazing, uh, beautiful thing that Jesus says. He says, if you go after the things that the world have for you, he says, it's not going to fill you. It's not going to satisfy you. It's not going to, in the end, give you what you want. But look what he says in verse 14. He says, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him, he says that he will never thirst again. But the water that I will give him will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. This is interesting, this word dipsao. It's an interesting feeling that simultaneously satisfies us, but at the same time continues to just, we we want more. We want more. We desire and crave more. So let me ask you this question. Do you desire and thirst to make things right in your own life? I mean, think about this for a second. When you're at home and you're going to sleep at night, do you literally just lay awake and cringe before your own sin? I mean, I got to be honest with you, driving on the 91 freeway or the 15 at any point during the day, my patience is just tested. And I know there are moments when I literally in my own heart have just let myself go too far in those. And when I sit there and I recount my days, as I lay before God and I begin to just say, God, I confess these sins and I'll begin to look at myself. I begin to cringe about those things that happen in my life. And the question is, do you, do you thirst for those things to make them right? To say, how can I be better? God, show me how I can, how I can live righteously for you ne- the next day. How I can not go back into the same things that I continue to do. Do you desire to see past wrongs be made right? 
Have you ever had yourself been subjected to a wrong or suffered some terrible injustice? And have your one desire is to seek to make that very thing right? I mean, let's be honest. For most of us, we've been in relationships where we've been hurt by people, by our friends, by our families, by girlfriends, husbands, wives. We've all been in that situation. But at the end of the day, do you walk away saying, how can I make this right? Is there this craving? Is there this longing, this, this literally, this painful desire inside of you to, to have that fixed and made right? Everything changed for Sharon Jambroni. The day that her mother was coming home from dinner, 70 years old, she's walking to her car as two assailants rob her at gunpoint and shoot her and leave her for dead. Here's the interesting thing about Sharon. This is someone who thirsted for righteousness. Because as her world was literally ripped apart from her, they caught the two men. And at the sentencing, when she took the stand, what Sharon did was unbelievable. She picked up a Bible. And in it she said, this is for you. She says, I want you to know that we've been praying for you. My family has been praying for you. And we actually wrote something on the inside. And in the inside, they wrote John 14, 6. For I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. And she looked at the person who killed her mother. And she said, will you keep your eye on the cross? And will you find him? And it doesn't even stop there for Sharon. Because as they went home and weeks passed before they were actually going to try him to see where he, where he was going to face the death penalty. When she showed up that morning in front of a packed courtroom, she said, she said this. We weeped for you, Nathan. We weeped for you. My family prayed for you every Sunday. And then last night we prayed and we said, God, if he's not guilty, then do not let this come back as a guilty man. She said, after he was sentenced to lethal injection, she said that we pray and our parents pray now for this family who's now lost their son. That, that is thirsting for righteousness. That's a craving and a desire to just see that things are made right. I have a, an incredible quote from one of my all-time favorite authors, who's Dallas Willard. And he writes on this very topic about thirsting for righteousness. Just listen to this. He says, The kingdom of the heavens has a chemistry that can transform even the past and make the terrible, the irretrievable losses that humans experience seem insignificant in the, in the greatness of God. He restores our soul and fills us with the goodness of righteousness. Wow, that was incredible, man. I love Ronnie. I love his passion. Man, and the giftedness in that guy. Sid, what hit you? Well, you know, I liked it. I, I liked it a lot. And uh, I'm going to stop with the accent because I'm horrible at it and I apologize. Um, but what, seriously, what I, I got from Ronnie's message is the idea of, of thirst. And, it, and it, it brought me to the time when I uh, was in college, uh, working previous jobs, and even working with people in the film industry. And how I was thirsting for the wrong thing. You know, I was thirsting for that degree. I was thirsting for that position in my previous jobs. And I was thirsting for that fame um, and the fortune, you know, in the industry. But after coming to Crossroads and being on staff, 
there's a completely new thirst that I just crave for every single day. And it just, it just hit me incredibly. Yeah, and the satisfaction we experience serving God and touching lives, right? Absolutely. Exactly. Hey, Rob, what hit you? Well, it's really what, what uh, the world measures us by, whether it's coaching basketball and it's wins and losses or, or uh, whether you're measured by hitting goals or, or quotas, uh, you know, and, and that the worldly desires don't replace the hunger and the thirst that, that are satisfied through the word and, and what God promises us. And it just really uh, drives me to, to try to live that promise every day. And it, that thirst that Ronnie mentions, it just really brings it to a priority. Yeah, and I can see that too. And, you know, you've experienced a lot of success, but true satisfaction doesn't come from just every single success. There's always something else you thirst for. But if you thirst for this, you find yourself satisfied. It's an amazing Absolutely. thing, right? Absolutely. Man, that's been incredible. And now we move on and hearing more of what God has to say to us. Now we need to welcome Pastor Tony Wood. It's been a good study, and I, and I know we're, we're doing something uh, creative and special here. But in all reality, it's, it's been a, a really interesting study the last few days to really spend some time in these passages and begin to, to go deeper in what it means to, uh, to hunger and thirst for righteousness. And the verse has taken on a whole new meaning to me, which... Uh, is special. And I think that's the beauty of words written in red. And I want to just thank Chuck for giving me the opportunity uh, to be a part of what he's doing as it relates to Sermon on the Mount. Uh, and even if you're sitting there in a seat right now in Elsinore and everything we're saying is, is interesting and special, I want you to know I really believe the same way that God spoke to me is the way that he's going to speak to you as it re- uh, relates to the word hunger. But what's interesting about it is Chuck just mentioned the, the genitive and the accusative case in the Greek. And, it, I'm, and I, as I've studied and as it's grown on me, I realize that that is such a huge part of, uh, of what Jesus was saying in this moment. And it didn't just apply to righteousness. I think the, the tendency would be to go, well, it's really cool. I mean, the word righteousness, that's what it means. It's a genitive or, or accusative case. It's true as well about the word hunger. And as I began to wrestle with it and study through it, I realized, just like Chuck said, that the, the genitive case is, is more of a, of a slice. It's more of a piece. It's more of a portion um, as compared to the accusative case for the word hunger specifically, which is panointes, which is that it's like that full, unadulterated, complete starvation and desire for something in your life. And I, I applied it. Chuck talks about pizza. <laughs> the thing that really hit home with me uh, is more like a, like a chocolate cake from Claim Jumper, maybe like a, a mile high one. And I'm thinking maybe there's a few of you reading right now sitting uh, in the theater who identify with what I'm saying. It's, there's nothing like it. And I think you know, a slice and something in the genitive case towards hunger would be more like you see a, a little dainty morsel, you go to a special event, you've had a big lunch, and then you get that little slice and a cheesecake or, or cake and it fills you up and you feel good. But then there's that moment where I think we've all had it, where you, know, you picture yourself... <laughs> Even on a deserted island where you're starving, you're empty, you've got nothing left. And just picture for a moment that, that mile-high chocolate cake sitting there. And I think we all would get, if we got real honest, would just, we would, we would devour that sucker. It would be like, I'm not leaving one thing left. I'm taking everything off the top. I'm eating all the frosting. I don't care if it makes me sick because I might never eat again. And that's that idea of saying, I have a complete hunger. I have a full hunger. I have a starvation that has to be, not just be satisfied now, but for the long term. And I don't want to go back. And in this moment, Jesus is saying, that's the way you have to desire righteousness. Completely and fully. So I think there's a question that we all have to ask. And I know you're sitting in a theater and you're thinking to yourself, you're like, Tony, what in the world does hunger mean to me? And so I just want to postulate and throw this out. 
Do you right now, as it relates to righteousness, wake up in the morning and look for a slice of it? Or are you truly going after the whole cake? And you say, I mean, Tony, that's a, that's a little weird. It's a weird question to ask. And, I, 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 and I'm not sure how I can answer it. Let's go through some specifics for a second. As it relates to righteousness and a full and complete desire, a starvation for it, would you say, I mean, even right now, if you were to set up and the kids were gone, your wife was gone, your husband was gone, no one was around, you have a few hours at home and the, the room was dark, what do you do when it comes to integrity and righteousness alone in a dark room? Do you sit there and have a desire to do a little bit of something for yourself? Or do you still have a complete desire to do everything for God? In a dark room, do you do what you want or do you do what God wants? When no one else is around, do you do the things that bring you fulfillment or do you do everything that would bring God fulfillment in your life? And I think these questions for me get real, real in-depth and they get real scary because I go, man, I, it's one thing to wake up, right? And we go, I'm, I'm, cool with, uh, I'm cool with doing the slice of righteousness, but in those moments when I'm tempted, in those moments when I have something that I want to do, maybe it's just you know, a different slice right now and I can come back to the other one a little bit. What about this one? I think this is challenging for me. If you're an iPhone user, you have a droid, you have some kind of smartphone and you're sitting here right now. I almost fell off my chair. If you have a smartphone right now and you're sitting here thinking, you know, if you were to pull out your phone, just pull it out and start typing in your credit card statement or your, your bank statement, the reality is you could pull up every single dime that you've spent over the last uh, few months. Let me ask you, isn't it interesting when you begin scrolling through those numbers and looking at those things, how quickly you understand what your life is about and the things that matter to you as it relates to slices as compared to the whole cake? And I'm going to kind of make this a little bit of a challenge because when I do it, I, I, I get convicted. When it comes to righteousness and it comes to hunger and it comes to generosity and it comes to a Christian-like passion and waking up every day and saying, I'm going to just live for you, Jesus. There is no such thing as slice, especially as it relates to a pocketbook, because it's not about an amount. It's about an attitude. It's saying, God, everything that I am and everything that I do, I am laying here at your table, but I'm also just craving and starving to just give everything I have back to you. And I know that if I am going to just be first, I'm going to have to be last. And if I'm going to be at the top, I'm going to have to start at the bottom. And if we can all get that idea of giving first, we're going to understand at that point, we've truly understood that God gave first and we have something true and something real and something special. So even right now, as you think about the money you've spent, you think about the decisions you've made in private, can you honestly say that you have the complete and full cake as it relates to God? Or are there slices in your life? Slices and parts in your life that just still aren't his. There's another one that's been kind of you know, big for me and, and weighing on me, and I, you know, maybe you'll identify with this. I think it's interesting when we all go on missions trips and we, we come back, and, and, and you might have been there before, where you go to India and Kenya, which a lot of you have done, and you've traveled a little bit. I think what I happens to me is I come back sometimes a little bit wrecked. I come back just a little bit different. I sit there, and maybe it's the fact that I feel like I can't really institute the change I want. Maybe it's I sit there, and, and you're with me, where you think, you know, it's just hard because you wonder, gosh, with all these people suffering, is there anything I can do that matters? Or maybe it's, why did God, did you give me this much, and they don't have that much? But maybe is it possible there's another little part of us, if you got real honest and I got real honest, that it actually evokes some of this heart-deafening change in our life, and it's this. You might remember sitting around a, a small village, some kind of dirt-padded home, some little place where people had nothing. 
And yet you see hope in their eyes and you see love in their eyes. And this might be a skid row. It might be in Tijuana, Mexico. It might be when you serve someone in our local homeless shelters. It might be in a missions trip. But you see these people who literally have nothing in their life. And isn't it true that when you come back, there's something that changes in you because you realize, although as humanity calls it and as life calls it and as culture calls it, they had nary a slice of anything. Yet you realize in that moment, they had the whole hunger, the whole cake, the whole desire when it comes and relates to righteousness in their life. And I think we come back going, God, if that's what they have when they didn't have very much, what's the problem with me? And maybe am I lacking the same desire and the same heart? And it wrecks us really, really deep down. Maybe you felt that too. Because it's possible to be at the right job. And you know, you say, God, you're moving my life forward. I have success. You're in the right school. You have the right guy, the right girl, the right man, the woman, spouse, the right retirement. But it's also possible to still be the wrong person. And God cares so much about where you're going and so much about what you're doing. But at the end of the day, he cares so much more about who we're becoming. There's a lady that has uh, grown really, really close to, to Bree and I. And if you're in Elsinore right now, you, you might know her or you might not. Chuck, I got to say, you make me really, really nervous with these. <laughs> but Liz is a, is a special lady. And we, uh, Bree began to fall in love with her as she began to, to come closer to her. But Liz has a, an interesting condition and I think something that would break most of our heart. She, um, you know, found out just about a year ago now, two years ago now, that she has something called pulmonary hypertension. And pulmonary hypertension is a big word that simply means that the right ventricle of her heart is slowly beginning to close. It's slowly beginning to shut down and the oxygen doesn't make its way into the heart the way it should. And the the scary part about it is is that she walked into the um, to the doctors one day and they said, hey, if you don't medicate this, there's no diagnosis. There's really nothing we can do. There's no operation. And, and we think that, you know, there might be a chance that you have you know, upwards of two years, maybe five years max to live if we take care of this the way we properly should. And I know that there's a, there's a, there's a simple part of us that goes, man, that, that's horrible. But the part that really weighs on us, and as we begin to know Liz, is the fact that she's 32 years old. She's 32 years old. She has a husband named Hector who's been happily married to for 10 years. But here's the, here's the thing that got us. Is she has a little four-year-old son named Jacob. And a little two-year-old daughter named Lisa Marie. And it's one thing, and we know this, and I'm just being honest. You're sitting here right now and you go, it's one thing, God, when you take people in your design and in your time at a ripe old age where they're healthy. But I think the thing that breaks our hearts when we stop, isn't it true? And you go, but God, how is it that you can, you can take someone in the, in the prime of their life or potentially take someone in the prime of their life when they have these, these children to raise and they have this heritage to bring and this legacy to give? And everything about Liz's story is something that on the external, on the outside, seems painful and tragic until the day that I actually had the opportunity to read a few of Liz's blogs. And she's actually said that these blogs were written in a lot of respects for her children so that they would have a book and a remembrance and a way to understand a lot of the things she's trying to teach them and she's excited to give them. I asked her permission and I wanted to read this short clip from one of them. Liz wrote, this year, it has to be better than ever. And I'm proclaiming that from this day forward, I'm going to wake every day with a positive outlook on life and I am a determined woman. You see, God and my husband and my kids, they give me strength every day. 
Seeing them smile and hearing them laugh, they give me fuel to go on and get better. And I enjoy writing to them every day about all their little struggles and accomplishments. And I can't wait to one day give them their books for a special occasion. I'm hoping for their wedding, but we'll just have to wait and see. I got what I thought was a crippling phone call the other day. It was from our life insurance broker telling me that he couldn't find a company that would insure me. My body reacted first the way it always does. First, I felt a rush of warmth go through my body, finally landing here in my heart. And second, there was a massive uncomfortable knot that began to wake its way to my vocal cords, eliminating my ability to speak. And third, my eyes were conquered with these childlike tears, and I felt horrible. And my first thought was, nobody thinks that I'm going to make it through this disease. When Hector got home, I didn't tell him right away. I kept that depressing feeling to myself as I have a tendency to bottle things up. And at bedtime, I finally broke and I just gave in and said, Hector, there was an insurance company out there that would insure my life. And he sat there, got silent for a second. And can you guess his response when he said, you don't need any insurance company to insure your life. Because God has already done that for you. That was all he said. And in the darkness of the room before falling asleep, lingering in the calmness of his voice, I closed my eyes and I prayed and I gave thanks to God because he was able to speak to me with such simple words. And they filled me with substantial security and peace. And I slept so well. After being diagnosed with this deadly disease, I had resolved to live my life to the fullest. And although I didn't jump out of an airplane or travel to Europe, the one thing I did was make every single moment as meaningful as I could. Every tear cried, every smile to a random stranger, every word spoken, every laugh with friends, every morning eating breakfast with the kids, it became meaningful. And I can't tell you what a year it's been. What a blessing it is to live like this because there is no more worrying. About coming years or long-term planning, I live in the present. I hug my kids. I smell their bodies next to mine. I live like I was dying. I took every single blessing and enjoyed it. And when the sun rose, I was able to smile. I tucked my little ones into bed, and I said my prayers with them. I kissed their foreheads with love and proclaimed many blessings to their lives, knowing fully well that any day could be my last. I kissed my husband passionately, And I smile at his wonderful character. I lifted him up with laughter every day. And I've comforted him with soft touches of tenderness. The thing that I love about Liz's story is she's going through something that I think every single one of us says, what if, right? What would I do? And yet you notice that there is nothing about her that's just a slice of life or a slice of righteousness. She's living the whole cake. She's starving for the whole thing and desiring for the whole thing and seeing a great God step down into her life and use her. In the whole thing. Wow. Okay, that was um, incredible. Liz, what hit you about this? Well, actually, that's, that's my story that he was talking about. I'm Liz. Hector is my husband, and those are my children, and that is what I'm going through. And the most important thing that I've realized in my life is doing God's will every single day and everything that is important in God's Eyes, that's my goal. 
And I know that. And um, there was a night that you and Hector came and the elders, we anointed you and prayed over you. And, and I know I was crying. I, I, every single person. And God hasn't given us the answer we're keeping believing you're going to get. But I know this. I love, Liz, I love how committed you are and how your husband is. And your kids, I know, are seeing a very, very godly uh, a woman who's ready to do that, who's ready to give everything to God. I mean, I, I, we love you. We love you for that. And uh, that really is true. I think one of the things I love about Crossroads is people like uh, Rob and Sid and Liz and, and all of you who um, we come together and we say, look, we really want to be level four. We really want to live our life completely sold out to God. And, uh, you know, it, that, that's got to be who we are in the good times. It's got to be who we are in the tough times when we're being stretched or attacked and hurt. It's got to be who we are when um, we get the bad news. And, and we see, like in Liz, we see in everyone we come into contact with this amazing desire. And, but, but something else happens is this deep satisfaction, this knowledge that, that not only God has taken care of it, it's like, God, I look at this and, and I really, I realize that I, I know my purpose and I know what matters and I, I know it all. And I hunger and thirst not for things, but for the love of God and the love of others. And I want to ask you a question. Is that you? Are you somebody right now who's bearing the fruit of the spirit? In tough times and you did fruit inspection, is there love, is there peace, is there joy? Is, there, is that who you are? Or there are outbursts of anger. Do you find yourself lusting after things or, or, or objects or, or sexual moments of pleasure? Do you find yourself not really experiencing the true satisfaction God has? Is there something else controlling you? And in the end, when you lay in bed at night, are you able to say, wow, what a great life. What an amazing life. Because I have a God who loves me like a dad. If that's not who you are, if that's not what you have, let me remind you what I started with. Jesus said you can have this. He's not going to hide it from you. He's not going to hold out on you. He wants you to have it. And so I want to ask you this question right now. Do you want it? And you might ask, how do I, how do I get it? Well, back to the whole idea of food. Guess what Jesus said? He said, behold, I stand at the door and I knock. If you open the door to me, I will come in. And I will dine with you. And the word dine there is a Greek word for I will have an intimate meal with you. At the kind that you share for hours. Deep fellowship and amazing intimacy. That's what Jesus wants for you. And I want you to know he wants it so badly. That, that, that he came and he lived on this earth. And he died on the cross to, to pave a way for us to have forgiveness and love. And to be able to have inside of us this amazing ability based on the Holy Spirit to actually attain to righteousness. That we thirst and hunger and crave. And we keep being satisfied and keep finding vigor in life. And it can be yours. Now how do you get it? Well, according to scripture, the first step is for you to pray. The Bible says, call on the name of the Lord and be saved. You, you start by talking to God. And so right now, what we're about to do is go to a prayer time. And if any of you right now want this, if any of you want this love from God, what I'm going to ask you to do right now is, is to pray a prayer with me. Where you just whisper and say, God, I want this. I know I need your forgiveness. I want the healing from hurt. As Ronnie said, I want to make rights wrong. Tony said, I want all of this life. It's what God is saying to us. And if you want this, I'm going to ask you in a moment, right where you're sitting, to pray this prayer with me. That's where it starts. 
It starts by talking to God. But the next step's vitally important. The next step is walking with God. And we're going to ask you to do that in a very real way today. We're going to ask you, if you pray this prayer and mean it, we're going to ask you to literally, after it's over, as we begin to sing, we're going to ask as we stand up, that, that if you really meant it, that you actually make your way to one of the aisles on the side here and come down and head right over to this doorway. And Doug will be there and Brian will be there and other people will be there. And we're going to have you go and meet and talk with them. Now, you probably are probably wondering, okay, wait, why would I want to do this? Now, here's why. Jesus said, if you confess me before men, I'll confess you before my father's in heaven. And so here's what we're saying by getting up, by coming, you're saying to yourself, you're saying to God, you're saying to everybody, I really mean this. And I want to tell you, something happens when you make that outward confession. You connect with Jesus in a deeper way. You sense his presence. But here's where I want to go. Don't miss this. When you do that, you're doing the right thing. You're saying, I, I want to do it his way, not my way. You're hungering for the right thing. And that's what drives you to do something that might be scary, but you end up overcoming it. And if you want to grab a friend's hand and say, come with me, you can. But no matter what I'm saying, please today in that theater where you're sitting, you matter so much to God. You matter so much to us. And we want you so much to know his love. And if you sense it, we're going to ask you to start by saying yes to him and opening your heart to him and by coming and showing that amazing desire is real. So what we're going to do right now is go to prayer. Let's pray. Father, I want to ask right now that your Holy Spirit would move in the midst of that theater. God, that you would touch every single person who's sitting there. That they would feel your love and your care. And God, I pray right now for the, the woman who's sitting there and she got news very similar to Liz's. And God, you want to give her peace and you want to give her comfort and you want to give her ability to appreciate every moment in life. And I pray you're going to touch her. God, I pray for the woman who's sitting there and she's been ready just to throw her family aside and not honor the commitment she made. And she's just had it. And the only reason she would hang in is because it'd be the right thing to do. And I pray she's going to do it. I pray she's going to sense just doing the right thing is so worth it. Father, I pray for the man who's sitting there and he has something he's never confessed and told. And you know what? It's not okay to keep it hidden anymore. It may cause him to have to face some things, but God, it's the right thing to do. And I pray he's going to do it. God, I pray for the person who's sitting there and deep down they know that their life isn't filled with that satisfaction and that joy. Lord, they're not living and they're not experiencing what deep, there's something missing. And now they're about to experience satisfaction if they say yes to you. So I pray right now, Lord, that you would begin to stir in their hearts. You'd begin to touch them. And I pray that they're going to say yes. They know this is their moment. I'm going to ask that we keep praying. And right now, I want to ask everyone who's right with God right there in the theater. Would you pray for people who need to make this decision? And I'm going to ask right now that if you're ready to. To pray this prayer with me. But here's the question. Do you want to do it? Do you want this to be yours? And if you do. I'm going to ask you to pray the prayer right now. Just whisper these words. Say this. Say Lord Jesus. I know you love me. And I know you died on the cross. To forgive me of my sins. To heal me of my hurt. To make me alive. To make me new. And to make me yours. And I say yes. 
I want this. And I want you. So I open my heart to you. Please fill me, fill me with your love. And fill me with your Holy Spirit. And help me be who you created me to be. And to live the life you have for me to live. And this I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Man, if you prayed that prayer today, we could not be more excited for you. I want you to know that. But you know what we're going to ask you to do right now? If you prayed it in a minute, or maybe another week, if a week or two ago or another time you prayed it in a minute, but you've never come, we're going to ask right now that you do. So if you said yes to God or you recommitted your life to God, when we get ready to stand and sing, we're going to ask you to come. Also, today, if you would like to arrange a time for you to be baptized into Christ by your choice and a conscious worship experience with him, we also are going to ask you to come right now. So if you prayed the prayer, you want to be baptized, let's stand together and let's sing as the band comes. And if God's calling you right now, please come.